This morning I want us uh, to talk about something that nobody wants to talk about, and I want us to think about something that nobody wants to think about. And so needless to say, I have my work cut out for me. Um, the reason that I want to do this is because oftentimes the Bible talks about things that we don't want to talk about, and it calls us to think about things that we don't want to think about. And so it seems valuable for us this morning to spend our time uh, talking and thinking about things that the Bible calls us to think about and to talk about. Um, death is an unwanted and uninvited guest in our world. It oftentimes arrives at our doorstep with no invitation. If you hopped on uh, any news site yesterday, uh, you would have uh, seen or read uh, the headlines uh, from Israel And as Russ prayed this morning, that is one of many examples that we experience in our broken and fallen world on almost a daily basis. Uh, Certainly, we would would much rather prefer for death not to pay us a visit, uh, for death not to show up at our doorstep. Uh, And yet, uh, it is an unfortunate reality in our world. Um, We will all face death. And when I say we will all face death, I don't mean that only people near and dear to us or friends or family or relatives or colleagues. I mean you and and me. We will face death. We will stare death in the eye. Death will become a reality for you and for me. One day we will all die. This is true regardless of if you are here this morning and you are a student, you know, whether you are 12 or or 20 or 40 or 50 or 70 or 80. It doesn't matter how well you feel today, how strong you feel, how vibrant you feel. This is a reality for us all. I know that's weighty news, I know this morning when you got dressed and ready for church, uh, perhaps that was not your expectation for you to come and hear about dying. Uh, I'm sure you were thinking many of the same thoughts that I was thinking, thoughts such as, uh, today will my beloved Honolulu Blue and Silver, the Detroit Lions, beat the hometown Carolina Panthers? Will Will we continue and carry on on our Super Bowl journey I know you're probably wondering, is there room for me on the bandwagon? Yes, yes, there is. Yes, there is. There's, there's plenty of room. There's plenty of room. There's, I don't know, five, six decades of room on that bandwagon. Uh, but this morning, uh, we, we didn't come to talk about that. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, that is not very important. Uh, it is mildly entertaining for a few hours. But in the grand scheme of things, it is not important. There are some things in life, there are things in death uh, that are way more important. And I want us to think together about them this morning. I want us to think together about what Jesus has to say about life and death. I want us to think about what Jesus says to those who are grieving death. And I want us to think and consider what Jesus does in the face of death. I think what we will define, what we will find in our passage in John chapter 11 is that Christ is uh, our hope. We're going to, we're going to read about the hope of Christ. 
Uh, we're going to read about the heart of Christ, and we're going to read about uh, the power of Christ, all in the face of death. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 11. Uh, the passage will be on the screen for you to follow along as well. But if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there. If you have your electronic device, you can follow along. If you have the Version app and so prefer, uh, you can go under events and look for Christ Point Church and you can follow along uh, that way as well. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 17 reads, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. You may remember from the passage last week and from the message last week that Jesus is going to demonstrate his love uh, for his disciples, for his uh, sons and daughters. He's going to demonstrate his love ultimately by revealing his glory to his people. And the story is a continuation of that. It says, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. In other words, Lazarus was dead. Uh, you don't have to attend seminary to come to that conclusion. The text is pretty clear. He had been in the tomb uh, for four days. In other words, this wasn't a misdiagnosis. It wasn't as if some people thought that Lazarus was dead, but he still was kind of hanging on and there still was hope that he might pull through. Uh, Lazarus, after four days, his body is decomposing, right? This is not a pretty picture. He probably likely begins to stink. Um, it, it is... It is not something that anyone would want to experience. And yet here is Lazarus, dead for four days. In the words of the great theologian Miracle Max from Princess Bride, there's a big difference between being mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. A Lazarus is not mostly dead. Uh, Lazarus is dead, dead. Uh, when we hear that line from the Princess Bride, if you're familiar with the Princess Bride, bless you. If you're not, you're probably not a believer. and That's, that's, <laughs> that's okay. I mean, God can still do a work in your heart. I have not given up hope. Uh, when we hear that line in the movie, we, we kind of chuckle and we laugh. Uh, but when we experience it uh, in life, we don't. Uh, d- death uh, feels a little more harsh to us. In the real world. So Lazarus, the one that Jesus loved, is dead. Uh, many had gathered to console Mary and Martha over the loss of their brother. Verse 20 says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. You may remember they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was ill, and, and Jesus stayed. He remained where he was instead of immediately coming to Lazarus's aid. And so you can, I mean, you can try to imagine the scene in your mind's eye. Jesus is coming back into town. Like Jesus is coming back. Like that, that Jesus, a miracle working Jesus is coming back. The son of God and the son of man, a rabbi, the, the teacher, the Messiah, the bread of life, Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus, that Jesus is coming. That Jesus, when he was sent word that Lazarus was sick, that same Jesus who was not in a hurry to come to Lazarus, uh, has finally rolled into town. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
And you have to appreciate the honesty of, of Martha in speaking these words. Jesus, if you had been here, this story would have ended a little differently. This may have been a statement of fact by Martha. It could have been a declaration of faith. It could have been words of disappointment, or they could have been words of a deep sense of belief. You know, on one hand, when you think about it, there, there could be belief here. If, if you would have been here, things would have been different. Like, Lord, I believe that you can do anything. You can do everything. Certainly, you could have fixed this situation. It's like if the star quarterback for your favorite football team uh, is injured and your team loses the game, you think to yourself, if only he would have played. If, if only he would have been here, things would have played out differently. On one hand, Martha's words could have meant that, Lord, if you would have been here, things would have played out differently. Or on the other hand, perhaps uh, her words are words of disappointment. Like, Lord, if you... <laughs> you would have been here like where where were you why didn't you come what what took you so long it could have been words of belief it could have been words of disappointment but we know from Martha that there still is some sense or some belief that she has that Jesus is able and capable of doing anything and everything he asks of the father. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, a God will give you. Have you ever you know, been there before where Martha is right, right now? Not, not obviously in her shoes, not, not necessarily in her exact same situation but have you ever faced a situation in life where you thought to yourself, Lord, if, if you would have shown up, if, if you would have done what you do, this would have played out differently. Martha speaks those words to Jesus, but then she says, Lord, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. There is some sense of belief that Martha has here. I believe when she speaks these words to Jesus, even now, even now, which is pretty spectacular because Lazarus had been dead for four days. You know, so he's not sort of in and out of consciousness and she's going, hey, I know things look bad, but even now, Lord, he had been dead for four days. And she said, even now, whatever you ask the father, I know that he will do even now. I'm trusting you even now. I believe whatever you ask from God, God will do even now. I don't understand why this happened, but even now. I'm not sure, God, what you're doing, but even now. This is not how I would have drawn it up, Lord, but even now. Do you ever have an even now moment in your life? Where, where life doesn't go as planned, where things didn't play out the way that you thought they would. And, and you and faith cry out to the Lord and say, God, even now, like I'm, I'm trusting you even now. Jesus heard Martha and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is verse 23. 
your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha had a, a good theology of the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, Jesus, I know. Like Lazarus will be raised sometime in the future. Like she, she thought that. She, she believed that. She, she trusted in that. This was her theology of the resurrection. Sometimes when we talk about theology or what we believe about God or even what we believe about what scripture teaches about particular things in life, they can seem very distant to us. Sometimes we think about or we read about or we debate about issues that seemingly don't apply to life. You, know, you, you hear smart theologians debating issues and you think to yourself, nobody is thinking about that. You are the only one who is thinking about that. You have this picture of the theologian in the ivory tower and they're debating about how many angels can sit on the head of a needle or if Jesus can create a rock that he can't, can't lift up. And you think to yourself, I'm living life in the real world and I don't have time for that. Listen, there are, there are issues. There are uh, things to believe in Scripture that are not uh, distant ideas or unimportant debates. Uh, when when your brother is in the tomb, when your daddy, or when your mom, when your aunt or uncle or your friend, uh, when your little boy or your little girl, like you cared deeply about the resurrection. This isn't some ivory tower debate. This is keeping you up late at night. This is incredibly important to you. And the good news is that it's not only incredibly important to you, uh, but it is incredibly important to Jesus. Because Jesus heard the words of Martha, and he does a very Jesus-like thing. It says in verse 5, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that is quite a promise by Jesus. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. When you die in Christ, you live and you live forever. When you live and believe in Christ, you never die. Or to to put it another way, when you live and believe in Christ, the moment you breathe your last breath, you will breathe your very first breath. Your last day will be your first day. That is quite a promise made uh, by Jesus. Death from our vantage point is the end of what we know. 
It is the end of conversations with our loved ones. It is the end of new memories. It is the end of spontaneous laughter. And, 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 uh, and in Christ, it is, it is the very beginning of forever. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Um, That is a significant question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that the resurrection of Lazarus was not just some Bible story from 2,000 years ago? Um, do you believe that the Lazarus, or that the resurrection of Lazarus, was potentially a foreshadowing of your resurrection? Uh, that one day, when uh, you die, you will actually truly begin to live. Uh, do you uh, believe this? Jesus is teaching uh, Mary and Martha, those who hear, those who have eyes to see, um, that he is where hope is found. Hope is found in Christ. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is. He is life. Not just that he gives life. He does give life. But that he, in fact, is life. There is hope in Christ. Uh, Secondly, we see in this passage the heart of Christ. Look at verse 28 in John chapter 11. It says, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, "Uh, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So Mary responds to Jesus just like Martha had. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And here we see the response of Jesus. And in seeing the response of Jesus, we're exposed to the heart of Jesus. It says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I want us to think a little bit and sort of camp out on this idea of Jesus being deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Uh, It is true that Jesus cares about our pain uh, in more ways than we could ever fathom or begin to understand. God is near the brokenhearted. He's near the brokenhearted. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So Jesus cares about us in our pain. He comes to us in our pain. He doesn't leave us in our pain. But verse 33 is interesting. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
Um, the, the, the word here that's translated for deeply moved in verse 33 is an interesting word. Uh, words matter, by the way. We know this, right? Words matter in life, in our conversations with other people. The words that we use, that we choose, they matter. They make an impact. And Bible words matter too. This word deeply, that's translated deeply moved, is, is a fascinating word. It is translated here, uh, deeply moved in spirit. He was greatly uh, troubled. When I read that word, I always had this perception that, that Jesus uh, just felt for Mary and Martha. He was moved. He felt sorrow for them. He felt empathy for them. He looked at their situation. Scripture says that he, that he wept. He was, he was sad. Uh, he was, he was brokenhearted. Like whatever language you want to put on there. Um, but it's interesting. This word that's translated "deeply moved" is used again in verse thirty-eight, and it's used three times outside the gospel accounts. And every other time it's used, it's never used as a word of compassion, but instead it's used as a word of rebuke or warning which is interesting considering the context. The other word, greatly troubled, has this idea of being shaken or agitated. Uh, It's the same word in John chapter 5, verse 7, where it talks about the the pool at Bethesda, the waters being stirred. It's that that same idea. And it's the word here that uh, this word is used in John 14, 1, when Jesus says to his followers, let not your hearts be troubled. And so this word and all the other context is is not a positive emotion. It's this idea of being shaken or upset or disturbed or at times even angry. Um, Theologian D.A. Carson translates this verse, "When, when Jesus saw all this, he was deeply outraged in spirit and troubled. In other literature, the word here used for deeply moved suggests anger or outrage or emotional indignation. So if that's true, and maybe that's a leap for us to think that this word isn't just Jesus being sorrowful, but Jesus being um, like moved or having uh, anger or outrage. If that's true, then what does it mean in this context? Like, Why would Jesus be feeling the way that Jesus was feeling? On one hand, it's possible that Jesus is moved by grief. He, he sees that Lazarus has died. He, he experiences those who are brokenhearted over his death. And Jesus is consequently angry over sin and sickness and death in a fallen and a broken world. That's po- I mean, that's possible. Like Jesus looks at the situation and looks at the fallenness and the brokenness of humanity and the world that we live in. And, and he feels anger. Like, do you ever experience that, at least in part, in life? Do you ever, does the latest news headline ever disturb you? Like, do, do you read about hundreds dead in Israel, and your your heart breaks, and there simultaneously, like, there's this this anger and frustration that the world is the way that it is. You, you see people celebrating what happens and you're just like, there's something inside of you where you're going, that is not right. And it bothers you. 
Jesus may be moved in that way because he's looking at the fallenness and the brokenness of the world and he is, he is bothered by it. Or, or and, it's possible that Jesus looks at this situation and he is bothered by the unbelief that the people have. It's possible that Jesus is angry because the grief that he is experiencing, the grief that is before him, is is not uh, the the grief of uh, believers grieving the loss of their loved one, but grieving with hope. It is what 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, a grief like the rest of men who have no hope. And he's, and he's looking at this, this crowd and he's thinking to himself, like, like, don't you know that this is not how this ends? Like, don't, don't you believe? Have you not heard my promises? Do you not believe my word? Uh, certainly profound grief in the midst of loss is completely understandable. It would be, it would be wrong and cruel to come alongside someone in their grief and go, I I don't know if it's legit or not. I don't know if you're grieving for the right reasons. I don't know if you're grieving while believing. I'm not suggesting that. But but I do wonder if Jesus isn't looking at uh, these folks and thinking to himself, um, there is massive hope for you. The the psalmist reminds us that in God's presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand there is pleasure forevermore. I mean, just think about that for a second. Perhaps Jesus is thinking to himself that reality is what he is experiencing now. Fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. For the first time in his life, he has perfect line of sight to see Jesus for who he is. Jesus is experiencing agitation or anger or outrage because people fail uh, to believe. It reminds me of the quote from the old evangelist Billy Graham uh, who said uh, these words, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have ju- I will have cha- I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Uh, death for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, uh, is is not an easy thing, uh, but the result of it is a good thing. A fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. It, it is possible that, that Jesus is feeling the way that he's feeling because of one of those reasons. It's possible that he is experiencing it for both of those reasons. Like he, he is angered by sin and brokenness and death and uh, he is frustrated by the unbelief of, of the people. Needless to say, Jesus is moved and so he moves. Verse 34 reads, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? 
We see this all throughout the gospel accounts. People confront Jesus. They come face to face with with Jesus. Some people believe Jesus and follow Jesus and trust Jesus. And other people take a step back and go, "Mm, I'm not buying in. We've seen it all throughout the gospel accounts. And we see it here. People experience the, the, the death of Lazarus. They see it. Jesus shows up onto the scene. And some people go, man, did he love him. And other people go, really? Because Lazarus is dead. He didn't do anything for Lazarus. Same experience, but two very different results. Two very different perspectives. Don't be surprised in life when the work of God and the ways of God are questioned. Don't be surprised when, when some people see and experience an event in life and walk away and think, man, God, God loves me, or God loved them. And then other people go, really? I don't see it. I'm reminded of Romans 11, verses 33 through 36, that read, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Um, there, There are times in life when we have experiences and we step back and we think to ourselves, well, I know what God's doing. And we got a chapter and a verse for it. And we go, clearly, he's working for this reason and that reason. He's moving the chess pieces. I mean, I think there's a lot of times in life where we just sit quietly before the Lord and we say, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? I mean, there's times as as believers, as followers of Jesus, where we don't get the privilege of connecting the dots. Where we sit silently before the Lord and we go, God, you're God and I'm not. And I don't understand. I don't think that's always a terrible place to be, by the way. In this passage, we see the hope of Christ. In the face of death, we see the heart of Christ. And now we see the power of Christ. Verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, that's the same word, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, uh, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
The same word that is used for deeply moved is used here again in verse 38. It's as, if, it's as if Jesus hears the crowd going, yeah, sure he loved him. He didn't do anything about it. And rolled up his sleeves and said, watch this. What is Jesus What is Jesus doing when he brings Lazarus back to life? And number one, Jesus is demonstrating his love by revealing his power over death uh, for the glory of God. Jesus is performing this miracle so that people would see uh, the majesty and the beauty of God, so that they would see God is glorious, so they would stand back and go, wow. And that's what happens. Like you, <laughs> I don't think you can experience a resurrection without thinking that. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is revealing the greatness of God. He's demonstrating again who he is to a watching world. Secondly, Jesus is demonstrating his power over death so that we, so that they would believe. Remember, this is the purpose that John wrote his gospel so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. I love verse 42. I knew, I, knew that you, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Uh, Jesus is kind enough to be mic'd for sound uh, so that uh, those in earshot, uh, those who see what he is doing, can go, uh, wow. <laughs> and they, they might have faith to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Uh, three, Jesus raises Lazarus, and the result of Jesus is him demonstrating power over death by giving life. Jesus is demonstrating power over death by giving Lazarus life. For Lazarus, that meant a certain amount of time here on this earth before he died again. But uh, it also means that Jesus is the one who gives everlasting and eternal life. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Like, I mean, I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine that. I mean, like, if you're here this morning and you're a Baptist, you would applaud. We're Presbyterian. I mean, like, even that would be impressive. You would be like, okay. Like, I'm going to show some emotion. Like, I mean, that's incredible. That is incredible for Jesus just to speak a word and to bring a dead man back to life. I said this morning that I wanted to talk about something that no one wants to talk about, and I want to invite us to think about something that nobody likes to think about. Uh, death is a reality that we all face. Um, what's interesting is our avoidance of the topic is not new to us. I think this has been true since the beginning of time. Uh, 400 years ago, a French philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal noticed the way most people seemed indifferent to what he described as the loss of their being, or in other words, 
he was shocked to consider how people viewed death, but intensely concerned about everything else. So Pascal is like, y'all are concerned about a lot of things that ultimately don't matter that much. But the one thing that matters a whole lot, you don't seem to think about. This is what he said. He wrote, Blaise Pascal, they fear the most trifling things, foresee and feel them. And the same man who spends many, so many of his days and nights in fury and despair at losing some office or at some imaginary affront to his honor is the very one who knows that he is going to lose everything through death but feels neither anxiety nor emotion. It is a monstrous thing to see one and the same heart at once so sensitive to minor things and so strangely insensitive to the greatest. Death is a reality that we all face. There will be a day when it becomes very personal uh, for us. And in the face of death, uh, there is good news for the Christian. Because in the midst of death, there is promise of life. Author Matt McCullough in his book, Remember Death, writes these words. Death makes a statement about who we are. We are not too important to die. We will die like all those who have gone before us. And the world will keep on moving just as it always has. No one is indispensable. It is a harsh, even terrifying statement. When we've allowed this statement to land on us and sink in, we're prepared for awe at the message of the gospel. It's another statement of identity. If death tells us we're not too important to die, the gospel tells us we're so important that Christ died for us. And not because death's message about us is wrong. It isn't. On our own, we are dispensable. But joined to Christ through our union with him, we are righteous. We are children of God. And God will not let us die any more than he, let, than he left Jesus in the grave. In the face of death, Jesus put it even slightly better than Matt McCullough when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I hope that you do. Father God, I pray that you would give us hearts to believe this morning. Thank you for the reminder that in Christ there is life and there is hope. Lord, thank you that you have not left us to fend for ourselves or to figure things out for ourselves. You have kindly come to us in the person of Jesus. And that same Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, came to this earth to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. Uh, he was buried and he was raised to life. Raised to life. Lord, the hope of the resurrection, I pray that it would uh, settle deep into our hearts and to our souls this morning. 
God, I pray as we face the reality of death that you would fill us with life, a life that is found in Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.